what are our sermons accomplishing? I would imagine every preacher who really is concerned about the benefit and the growth, particularly spiritually, of a congregation, asks the question, what do I need to be preaching upon? What kind of sermons does the congregation need to hear? And then you take your daily Bible reading, and as you read through the Scriptures, you realize that there is a thing that is just paramount. It is so important that you cannot neglect it. There is no greater topic than that of Jesus being the Christ. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 42, Luke records for us, And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They believed that it was important to teach that Jesus is the Christ and all that involves And then as a person begins to say, I want to preach upon Christ and I want to preach several lessons that emphasize that, you could look at Matthew, you could look at Mark, you could look at Luke, and you could look at John. But it was my decision to try to go to the Gospel of John and choose to use that letter, that message, because John had a specific in a very important place in the Lord's uh, people. Of the apostles, three of them were closer to him than any of the others. Peter, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee. But John even appears to have a greater place than even of those. As you read in John chapter 21 and verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved... And you go down to verse 20, then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. It appears that John enjoyed a special relationship with our Lord. They evidently were very deep friends with one another. They perhaps shared discussions with one another. And John is able to reveal to us Jesus like no one else. And so there's going to be a series of lessons beginning today on Jesus revealed by John. And it's going to be a study of the Gospel of John. Our focus this morning is going to be on John introducing Jesus. And what we want to do is look at those first 14 verses of the Gospel of John. And we want to look at three things. And this will be an expository lesson. We want to look at the preexistence of Jesus the preparation for him, and then finally his purpose here in life. Let's begin by looking at the first three verses. Brother Jared just quoted for us the verse two. Let's look at them together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, as you begin to explore the idea, you you notice the words in the beginning. Those are very special words because they reflect our minds back to the very first words in Scripture. 
In Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if I listen to John introducing Jesus, he said, in the beginning was the Word. That means he was present at creation. That means that when the world was spoken into existence, when everything that you and I see on this world and the stars, the sun, the moon, all of those, Jesus was there. So Jesus existed before this world was ever created. He existed before any created thing. So we think about his being present. In John chapter 8, verses 57 and 58, Jesus was having a discussion with the Jews. And the question was posed to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you that before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was here before and during the time that Abraham walked the face of this earth. When Paul writes Colossians, though, he puts it perhaps as basic and as simple as you could find it in Colossians 1 and verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So Jesus was present at creation, but he was also preeminent. Because the text goes on to say that the Word was with God and the Word was God. We're saying that Jesus has the same nature. Jesus has the same composure as the Godhead, as divinity. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul would write, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Do you see that? Jesus was equal with God, but he goes on to say, but he made himself of no reputation. That is, he emptied himself and came down to walk on this earth and sacrifice himself for us. When the writer of the book of Hebrews expressed this idea, He wanted to express it in such a way that people hearing would understand that even God the Father acknowledged the divinity of the Son. And so he says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. Observe that the God the Father says to the Son, Your throne, O God, referring to Him as God. But the third thing that you observe is that Jesus was the provider in creation. That is, He was involved as the creative agent. When the writer of the book of Hebrews speaks of Him, He says, Has in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, through whom also... He made the worlds through him. That is, Jesus was the creator of the Godhead. Colossians 1 and verse 6 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. That's pretty specific. 
letting us know the realm that Jesus had. We tend to think of God the Father, but in reality we ought to be thinking of all three members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1 and verse 26, you have a very enlightening passage. And then God said, Let us make man in our image. Notice those plural pronouns there, us and our. There is the creative act that was by the divine nature of God, but it was through the agency of that of Jesus Christ. And so as we step back and look at verses 1 through 3, we draw the conclusion that Jesus was present. He was here before his incarnation. And so if I want to introduce Jesus to someone, I would say Jesus was here before all things that were created and he was here as the God of this universe. Let's look now at verses 4 through 9. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. I want to begin by pointing out to you that this was a planned event. God knew in advance when he would send Jesus, that he would send Jesus, and all that he would do in this world. When you have a planned event, you make preparation for it. You may be celebrating a birthday party. You may be celebrating an anniversary. You may be celebrating a number of events but you have them planned for and you prepare for them. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Yes, God knew exactly the time He wanted to send Jesus. It was at the appointed time or at the fullness of time. And God sent Him at the time in which The law was still in effect and he sent him to be born of a specific woman, Mary of Nazareth, who gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. But I want you to understand that this preparation began a long time. In fact, the Bible talks about before the foundation of the world. But it is revealed to us in little what I would call breadcrumbs. Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis 49, verse 10. Isaiah 7, and verse 14. All of these breadcrumbs, if you will, are leading us to understand that God has been making preparation for the coming of this Messiah. Genesis 49, 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. That may appear to be somewhat of a cryptic passage, but you need to observe that it talks about the scepter, that is the ruling rod. 
And it speaks about this one here who would be the lawgiver. He's going to come through the tribe of Judah, which is a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. God had made preparation all through the Old Testament for the coming of the Christ. But when you get here, what are you going to see? You're going to see light and life. In fact, I almost broke this out as a separate lesson in and of itself. But I felt it was more valuable to see it in its context. And when you think about Jesus being the light, you think about him illuminating the way in which a person ought to go. He shows you where to follow. In John 8 and verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have light of life. This very much parallels what John wrote in his general epistle in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. But then you go further to John 9 and verse 5, and he says, As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. I think it's significant. The fact that here Jesus is said to be the light, and in the very first verse he is called the Word. In Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus provides for us direction and guidance. But he also is described as the life. And if you and I would just simply think about life, I think most of us think about that in terms of this world and this existence. But what you see is, is that Jesus not only provides a good life here, but he provides for us a hope for an eternal life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, he says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So often men focus that upon this world and say, You want an abundant life here? Just follow Jesus. I will suggest to you that is the best life that one could live. But the abundant life is the one that is in eternity. The eternal life spoken of in so many passages. But as you read through this, he says that Jesus was the light, but the, the world did not comprehend it. The word comprehend there is, I don't guess, the best way to express it. The original word means to grab hold of something and to seize it. We would put it today that the world just does not get it. They didn't understand who he was and that God had made preparation for him and that he would be the Christ, the Messiah. Listen to verses 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The world didn't know him. He didn't appreciate him. Do you know when Jesus arrived, all the preparation had been made? 
And yet the world as a whole simply looked at Jesus and said, he's not the one we're looking for. We reject him. They didn't get his mission to save. They were looking for a great military leader, but when Jesus was in Jericho, there was a little short tax collector there by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus told Zacchaeus to come down from the tree. He was going to go home with him. And the people were just greatly disturbed that Jesus would, number one, associate with the tax collector. Number two, they would actually go into his house. And Jesus stated very plainly in verse 10 of Luke 19, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I'm here. And the world didn't get it. That's why he was here. And when we talk about the Lord's church today and we start trying to explain to people Jesus, you know what people think? Oh, well, they don't get it. Some didn't get his mission in the kingdom either. I know the Lord had to often been discouraged and frustrated with those 12 men whom he had chosen. You get to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You want to hear Jesus say to them, just like he said in chapter 18 and verse 36 to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. Therefore, my kingdom is not from here. His was a spiritual kingdom, a divine kingdom. Men didn't get it. Sadly, today men still do not get it. And I will tell you today that I find myself discouraged living in McMinnville. Not discouraged in what the Lord can do and will do, but discouraged in the way we respond to Him. I read the newspaper from Friday and from today, and Mr. Clark in the paper mocked the fact that we had lost the election with regards to liquor. And he says, well, if you really want, want to have one people feel comfortable, just name it Bible Liquors. I don't think that's funny. He went on today in his column on the business section and used several quotes. One of them was from Frank Sinatra saying, alcohol may be man's worst enemy, but he says the Bible says love your enemy. Or another one uh, that says, I like to see a glass half full said, hopefully that's a Jack Daniels. And then he goes on to praise people who are involved in a homosexual marriage. And I ask myself, this is McMimble. This is where Christians live. And we have the Bible and its plan being mocked openly. Men just don't get it. There needed to be a person to bring about the preparation. And God chose John the baptizer. You see, there are several Johns in the Bible, and you have to distinguish them. The writer of the Gospel of John is John the son of Zebedee, who is the brother of James, one of the apostles. John the Baptist is the cousin of Jesus. 
And he is the one whom God chose. You see, you can go back and look to the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi, looking forward to the coming of the Son of Righteousness, spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N. says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You can go back to Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and there you have the words that John himself will quote later. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every high mountain or every mountain shall be brought low. The crooked places will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. And when I get to the New Testament to Luke chapter 1 and you see the coming of John the Baptist, he was told to Zacharias, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make a people, ready a people, prepared for the Lord. You see, the picture given in John as he introduces is that here is Jesus, but he has an advanced man going before him. His name is John the Baptist. And his job is to straighten the people out. That's the reason why John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he began to explain to people how they needed to change their lives He was getting the people ready to hear the great Messiah, the coming of Christ. Now let's take the last few verses here, verses 10 through 14. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John puts it simply like this. It's either a matter of reception or rejection. There's really no middle ground here. You can't straddle the fence. Either you believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God as presented or you reject that. And so for that matter, there has to be preaching 
to combat ignorance so that people can know that He's the Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, the world through its wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Chapter 2, verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, the problem in looking at the purpose of Christ is there's so many people who don't see it. They do not acknowledge it. In John 12, verse 48, Jesus said, He who rejects me does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. Oh, yes. It's either you accept him or reject him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. One who does receive him, though, he says, are those even who believe in his name. Which leads me to a very important point from verse 12. He said, but as many as received him, to them he gave, now notice carefully the wording here, the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. He did not say that those who believe in His name and those who receive Him became children of God. They had the right to become children of God. You see, there's more that's involved than just believing and just receiving. You have to believe in the principles of an organization before you're allowed to join. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have no place becoming a child of God. And his birth that he speaks of here, not Jesus' birth, but the birth of the one who receives him, is not a physical one, but is a spiritual one. He says, not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but he says, but of God. Being born of God. That's a term that the Bible speaks of often. You know, when we get to chapter 3, and he'll talk with Nicodemus, and say, you must be born again. In verse 9 of 1 John, he says, whoever is born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. Chapter 5, verse 18 says the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 4, for what is born of God overcomes the world, and this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You believe, you receive, and then you obey When you do, you become a child of God, but such great blessings involved in that. Romans 8 and verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, and joint heirs with Christ. That's the reason why John would say in 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2, He said, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Do you see the blessing of being one of God's children? And I want to remind you that when you think 
about the seed here. The seed is the Word of God, Luke 8 and verse 11. And when I go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, having been born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God that lives and abides forever. And I go back to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now I step back and I look at those first 14 verses. And John introduced Jesus to us so that we might appreciate Him. He existed before the world ever was created. In fact, He was the agent of creation. He was the one that God had the Old Testament the prophecies, and then the coming of the prophet John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord. His purpose is then revealed, and John is introducing him to us to hopefully for us to appreciate who he is and what he did for us. The more you and I learn about him, the better we know how we ought to live, how we ought to have the mind of Christ within us, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And we ought to be thankful that He provides a way for us to become children of God. And this morning, what a great privilege that you and I have that we'll have an opportunity in just a moment to stand and sing a song. And it's not just a, a tradition, it's not just something we do, it's the Lord's invitation. That if you want to become a child of God, you can come and we can, as brothers and sisters, show you about faith in God, repentance from sins, the confession of our faith, and then the being baptized, which is being born of the water and the Spirit. John chapter 3, verse 5. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins. You then are ushered into the family of God. What a tremendous blessing. What a tremendous privilege that is. But you know, times are that we as God's children often stumble, we trip, we fail, and we need God's forgiveness. God provides a means for us to repent and to pray, ask His mercy, ask His forgiveness. If you need to respond, please come as we sing together now.